first of all, let me introduce the audience to you here, Tim Johnson, and you've got some great books coming out. This is the first one is called Distant Sons. And can you talk a little bit about how this idea came to you and um, how you decided to get into it? Sure. Um, well, I should start by saying it takes me a long time to, between finishing one book and starting the next. It's a it's a long process of getting the other one out of my head. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I try to just sort of be patient with that process and wait for um, some notion to come to me. And um, somewhere along the line, I got this notion that was pretty unformed, but it was an idea that I had these two books that were sort of in the same kind of hybrid genre, uh, you know, literary suspense. Yeah. And um, I, I had the idea of sort of uh, not creating a sequel or anything like that, um, but maybe sort of uh, taking one character from each of these two previous books, uh, Descent being the first one and yeah. um, the current being the, the, the previous book before this one. And um, just sort of um, making two of those characters cross paths in some way and have a whole entirely new story uh, built around that, not dependent on knowing you know, those previous two stories, um, but also those two stories, those two previous novels are their backstories. Um, so there's some reference to them, but um, the, it was kind of a challenge. Like, can you do this and can it stand alone, you know, without yeah. someone having to read those previous two books? And I like that idea. I like the challenge of that. Um, and it was a challenge, but I, but so far, you know, uh, when I sent it to my, uh, my, agent first who'd read both those books quite closely albeit some time ago um she didn't make the connection between the previous two books and she liked them oh. all as it was so that that was a great sort of first sign to me and then the, my uh editor at algonquin who had read the two books some time ago also she wasn't my editor for the previous two so she gets a little uh, a little past there but she hadn't made the connection uh either so those were two good indicators that it, it could stand on its own two feet. Um, and the other thing I'll just say is uh, I sort of fought the idea for a while because that's kind of my process is like not just to jump on the first idea that comes along, um, but to try and, you know, almost to forget it if I can. And if I can't, uh, then I start writing. So obviously I started writing. Well, one of the things that, that I really, really enjoyed was your writing. Um, as well as the story, of course. But I'm wondering, did you have a lot of training in writing? Is this just your natural way of doing it? Um, and and I does it take you a long time to work it through? Yeah, all good questions. So a little biography, I guess, is in order. <laughs> I um I did uh, I did go to um, University of Iowa as an undergraduate and took quite a few sort of uh, literature and, and writing courses there. And when I was done there, I went to the University of Massachusetts in Amherst to get my Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing. Um, so I had quite a bit of, uh, you know, training in uh, what, what we, you know, might call literary uh, writing, particularly of short stories. Um, and when I got my second degree from Massachusetts, I went out and became a carpenter. And that's what I did to make a living for 25 years. 
and I just kept writing during that time and I kept sort of mm. you know honing my craft and but I had a pretty good foundation of training um by that point on how to you know on craft and storytelling and um you know the rest is just um comes probably from reading you know reading a lot reading and rereading the books that I uh that have uh, inspired me over the years and um learning from them and and um you know eventually um I started publishing novels so that was the that was the path You've won some pretty high praise from your fellow authors, and I was trying to find the right word to express what I thought about your writing, and I couldn't come to it, but I did come to something um, Michael Corita had said. May I, may I read that? Oh, please. Um, he is also one of the finest prose stylists in the game, stacking polished sentences with a master touch. On Distant Suns, he says, an intricate, haunting novel sure to resonate with fans of Dennis Lehane, Peter Heller, and James Lee Burke. And of the current, he said, masterwork of mood and language, slow burn tension. Mm -hmm. How does that grab you? Yeah, I, I have to, you know, I, I hear that slow burn from time to time, and it, and it, it never sounds like the best pitch for a book. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, it grabs me just fine. And uh, I, I'm always sort of, you know, secretly and maybe not so secretly pleased when um, the writing is pointing at, pointed out because, you know, it's always been um, my goal to write novels that, or anything, stories that were not just um, good stories, you know, with compelling plots, but was the kind of writing that I would, had studied and liked to read and, and you know, wanted to practice. Um, which is to say, I didn't really set out to write, you know, what we genre. I didn't set out to write thrillers or crime or anything like that. I really set out to write just the best novel I could write and the best sentences I could write. And to answer part of your question, that can take a long that can take a long time. With with Descent, um, the first of these three novels, um, you know, it was about I think it was like seven years before I finished that book. And oh, wow. Yeah, that's not to say I was writing constantly. I wasn't. Um, back then, I was still making a living as a carpenter, so I had to go out and do that. Um, but so by the by the time it was picked up and and finally published, um, and people started saying, "Wow, what a, you know, this is quite a page turner," and you know, he's really good at the thriller mystery genre. And I was like, sort of scratching my head because you know, and it takes you seven pages, seven, seven years to write a book. It feels like anything but a page turner. <laughs> it feels pretty, pretty pokey, but so, yeah, uh, I'm fine with all that. Uh, and I, and I, and Michael Carita is uh, very generous with his praise and he's got a great book that I was lucky enough to read early, um, coming out this year also. Well, one of the things, um, that I noticed and I found interesting in, in Distant Suns, we're talking about part of it, you you create the crime from 1977 and mm -hmm. then fast forward to 2018 and how this case comes up again among amongst these people. The chapters uh, that are written in 1977 were all italic. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, and I hope I'm right on this, is that when you had dialogue in that, you didn't use punctuation marks. Right. You didn't use quotation marks. Right. How, how did you decide to do that? 
Um, well, you know, sometimes I just, I'm sometimes I'm going on rules that I've sort of established previously. Um, and where I pick them up, I'm not really sure, but I feel like because the, the italics in my mind are to are a signal that we're back in time, you know, we're back in a different time. It's, it's like a signal that just says we're in the past. And since we're in the past, um, it's not as present or immediate. And, is, and so I feel like the quotation marks are kind of uh, intrusive in that, in that kind of world when we're sort of in the past and it's kind of just almost like a memory. And, um, and sometimes when we're in the present in 2018 and, and Sean, for instance, is thinking back to just a couple of weeks or a month ago or something. Um, and, and if those passages are of any length, I won't use quotation marks in those either because they're, it's just kind of a rule, like it's a, it's a memory or something and, and quotation marks don't really belong in them or they're kind of, to me, they kind of speak more of the present. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because I had um, my, I have a daughter who used to be a high school English teacher. And I said, what is this all about? Well, she didn't know either. So, <laughs> so you, it's, it's so okay. I'm all right. It's not, it's not like it's supposed to be, uh, I don't know. It's uh, sometimes it's, I, I'm just, I just get these things in my idea, my, these ideas in my head and I just have to stick with them. It's just well, kind and of I, the rules. I think that's a real gift to the reader because it's different. And it's something for you to figure out and notice and that sort of thing. So I think it's a great idea. Um, how about your characters, Sean and Dan? They seem um, to to really, well, they're not the only significant character, obviously, but um, they were important to this, this story, the, the Distant Sons. Yes, and, and, and what do you wanna know about them? Well, where did they come from? Are they modeled after somebody that you knew or are they modeled after your imagination? Right. So um, in the immediate sense, they come from the previous two novels. Those are the two characters from the previous two novels yep. that I imagined meeting up. Um, and they, they are as fictional made up as I can make them. You know, uh, I, I tend to think that a little bit of my own experience in the world, my own way of experience in the world um, slips into most of my characters in some little way or other, you know, um, but neither of these characters are are based on um, people that I could point to and say, yeah, this was a model for this, this character. And, and, and if I'm, I'm doing that, I feel like I'm not really giving the character a chance to establish his, his or her own uh, personality and character. It's almost like um, I have maybe a sense of what this kind of character, who this character is in a very general sense, but it's going to take me some time to get to know them. Like I know very, I know nothing about you. I've met, you know, we just met. Um, I have a kind of general sense of the kind of uh, how you present as a person, uh, but I don't know anything about your real life. So it takes time for me to, to develop those characters. And hopefully I develop them um, in a kind of organic way and not, you know, sort of uh, based on anybody in particular. Yeah, well, they're, they're all interesting characters. Um, and and um, I like that. And I'm going to use 
one of the other reviewers, and I can't recall who it was, but talked about the slow burn through the story. And that's that's another thing that um, there was something, all, some undertone all along that kept the reader thinking I should know what's happening here. And and you have to keep going to find out. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not obvious and it's not dramatic. It's just there. How do you do that? Well, I think that has a lot to do with my own process because um, I don't really know I don't especially, I don't know hard and fast what's going to happen, or even if I have a pretty good idea what's going to happen, how we're actually going to get there. Um, so I'm not, I don't plot out these books. Um, I have a, I have a kind of a starting point that gets me going. Um, and then I have maybe a general idea of where I think the story is going to sort of end up Um and I, and I think the slow burn is a part of that process of, of figuring it out myself, you know, so I really, I'm not trying to jump ahead to something more interesting or more um, exciting or, or page turner, turning. So I'm just, I'm in the moment. And sometimes that, you know, that moment goes on too long and later I have to edit it down, you know, to something a little less uh, slow burny. <laughs> and that's why you have good editors around too, to help yeah. you do well, it sounds like it was one question I was going to ask you because some authors say that they plan ahead. They have a beginning, a middle, and an end, so they know yeah. the trajectory. Yeah. There are others who say, well, I started writing it, and the characters just went away with it and made the story. Mm -hmm. I, is, is that what you're saying? I don't see it being that free. No. No, I'm not like, oh, let's see what these characters are going to do today. You know, I usually yeah. have, I have a kind of a scene that they're going to be in. And I kind of have an idea of, you know, uh, the arc of the scene. Um, but but uh, I'm somewhere in the middle. I don't I don't plot everything out. I know authors who do and do it very well. Um, and they generally, even if they do plot it pretty uh, in pretty great detail, they often, you know, they're they're smart enough to know that it doesn't always work that way. That you you have to be able to be flexible and, and make changes um, to your plot. But I uh, I really kind of like to um, see where the story is going myself. Even though I have a general idea, I don't like to um, have it all figured out. I think that takes some of the not only the um, excitement out of writing for me. It, I think it takes it out of the writing itself personally. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the book, Distant Sons, there was a crime committed back in 1977, where three young boys on different occasions disappeared. Mm -hmm. um, and then in 2018, suddenly, things come together. Well, they don't suddenly, they very subtly do that. Um, why, why that, that kind of plot line where you dig up a, an a, a mystery from years ago rather than using it in a current one? I don't know. It's a good, it's a good question. It, it's, it's three boys and three consecutive springs or summers in this one small town. I'm not, I'm not thinking of any particular real life event like that. Um, but I do, uh, I do tend to have the I mean it's a crime you know it's a suspense crime mystery so something bad's got to happen to someone <laughs> and 
<laughs> and uh, so I, I thought that, well, maybe there's this history in this town that kind of um, haunts the current citizens and some who have been around since the 70s and some who, who clearly have not been around since then. Um, and, and how it's kind of a challenge that I set myself. How do I reconcile this old, unsolved, triple disappearance with the more immediate um, current plot line? How do they come to intersect? You know, and and that's that's I like to have a challenge like that. And I think you know, I think I hate to say it's random, but it was like, well, this it has a ring to it. You know, three missing boys. It's it's creepy and compelling. And I don't know why they went missing or who 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 done it. You know, I'm not. I have I have an idea between you know a couple of characters, but that could change by the time I get to the middle of the novel. It could, it, you know, I could find out that I could think, well, that would be really interesting if turns out it was this person or not that person. Um, and that was something that that happened in Descent um, in a really radical way when uh, one of the characters uh, turned out to have a very significant uh, role to play that I didn't, I didn't anticipate him having. Um, so that goes back to like, I don't know exactly what these things have to do with each other, but I'm going to write until I find out. Well, good, good. Um, <laughs> and when can we expect that next writing? Oh, well, like I said, I mean, if you look at the publication dates of these three books, there's almost exactly four years between each of them. Now, I always hope that it will be less than four years. Okay. Um, that'll be more like two years. And, and then, you know, I know authors who write a book every year, and I'm just that's just not me. I am not that guy. Um, you were, if I understood you correctly, you were doing construction and writing at the same time. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. What made you decide to start writing? Is that what you really wanted in the first place? And construction was just a way to keep living while you were experimenting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I never set out to be a carpenter. Um, I kind of, you know, I went to graduate school with the express idea of being, of learning to write, you know, and, and being in a creative writing program. Um, but when I got out of there, there was no like, oh, now you're a creative writing person and you can make a living as a writer. <laughs> it just doesn't <laughs> work that way. You know, a lot of people go into teaching and um, this was a long time ago and, and there weren't a lot of teaching opportunities out there. And, and I really didn't want to spend all uh, the kind of teaching opportunities that might have been available to me would have been, you know, really pretty challenging and, and time-consuming kinds of jobs, um, you know, like teaching four or five sections of, of composition, uh, which is a lot of work, which I knew because I had taught those courses as a graduate student. So um, I, I, turned my back on that and academia and I'm and I just found a way I sort of fell into making a living as a carpenter my father was working on a house back here in Iowa at the time and I came back and and spent the summer working on that house and one thing led to another and I ended up out in California and I started I was building movie sets and commercial sets and things with friends of mine who were already out there and then I fell in with a contractor um, who uh, I hit it off with and and uh, he basically made a real serious carpenter out of me you know I learned how to do things right and and pay attention to you know details and and so I 
pretty much the next 25 years, that's how I made a living. And I kept writing and I had a novel, you know, published in 2002. My first was a young adult novel. And um, I was still fully a carpenter at the time. In fact, the LA Times, uh, someone from the LA Times saw a review of the novel in Publishers Weekly and, and looked me up and did a little piece on me and because I was a carpenter and wanted to take pictures of me on swinging a hammer. Uh, it was because it was an interesting story, I guess. Well, I have to, I have to admit, before I knew any biographical information about you, I, I after I finished um, Distant Sons, I thought, boy, this guy really knows a lot about construction. And then I thought, well, Karen, you don't know anything about it, so he could have made up the whole thing. That's right. But then I saw your biography, and now I know the truth. So yeah, and that's well, it. Yeah, if you're convincing enough, you can you can pass you can you can you can sort of pass as an expert for just about anything. <laughs> and you know you can Google, you can Google everything anymore. Well, so I, I could have Googled yeah. you know I could have watched how-to videos and learned all that. But why would I? You know, if it wasn't an interest of mine and a passion of mine, it would be hard for me to um, write about that stuff. It has to be something that. And I do, I have, you know, I do look up things. I don't know how to be a, a detective, for instance, and I have to look up certain things, um, but it's interesting to me. And, but the writing about the carpentry came very naturally and it was already a part of these, both of these characters. Mm -hmm. so, and mm -hmm. that was another case of things that, you know, uh, there was probably way more than there needed to be and there may still be, but we uh, chopped a lot of that out. Okay. Um um, just as you mentioned that you did do some young adult writing and I don't know much about that but could you speak to that a little bit on on are you are you planning to continue to do both adult writing and young adult or and yeah. how did you get into it and then uh, and then kind of segue into the adult or field well um like everything else um I didn't intend to get into it <laughs> it was uh I was just writing, again, I was writing uh, the best novel I, I could write at the time. I, I think it's a good novel. I'm, I'm, I'm still proud of it, even though it was written 20 years ago or more. Um, but I thought I was writing an adult novel and I, and I was adamant about it being published as an adult novel. And uh, my agent at the time was patient enough to send it out many, many times to uh, adult publishers. But she did say at one, you know, and a lot of people, a lot of those publishers wrote back saying, um, isn't this a young adult novel? Because it did have a, a, a young protagonist uh, and it was about the young, young, young people's lives, really. I thought it was too dark to be a, a young adult novel. Um, but turns out there's no such thing as too dark for young adult, mm, yeah. adult novels, especially now. But um, so she, she, my agent said, you know, I'm going to do this for a while, but, but eventually, uh, if nobody takes it, um, I'll do this with the agreement that we, we try a young adult. And I said, okay. And so we reached that point and it had gone to many, many, um, adult editors, adult book editors. And, uh, then we sent it to the first young adult editor who accepted it like immediately. <laughs> So I was like, okay, I guess I guess it's going to be a young adult novel, and um, and I and they did a really good job publishing it. And uh, I'm again, I'm proud of it. Uh, we we did, I did have to rewrite it somewhat, um, 
to, I guess, make it more to feel more, even more like a young adult novel or some not not any of the plot, but um, in particular, I had written it in first person. And for some reason, um, they wanted it, they thought it would be better to write it in third person. So I did that. I changed all the first person to third person. And then it was published pretty much as it was. Oh. Yeah. And so I have to answer your other question. No, I, it's not out of the question, but I, young, the young adult genre, like all these genres are not genres that I actively read. If someone says this young adult novel is really exceptional and great, you should read it. Um, you know, I'll read it, but I don't seek them out and I don't plan on trying to write another young adult novel, even though it's become a very, very uh, robust um, industry and a lot of, you know, very renowned literary authors and genre authors and literary genre authors are, uh, you know, churning out young adult books. So oh. who, do, who do you read? Who are your authors that you read? Well, um, I read, I, I finally, it took me a long time to come to the, uh, come to the table, but I finally started reading Cormac McCarthy, you know, several oh. years ago, and I just couldn't get enough of him. <laughs> so I read pretty much everything he'd written pretty pretty consecutively and no doubt had a little sort of influence on my own um, uh, aims and, and even stylistics. Um, but there are uh, other authors I really love. Um, there's an author by the name of Teju Cole. Here, I have his new book right here. It's called, oh, it might be backwards. Yeah, it's backwards. Mm. It's called Tremor. I haven't read it yet, but um, his book, Open City, is a book that I just read and reread, and I won't belabor it right now, but it's just, uh, it really is uh, a wonderful piece of writing. And it, it's not, it doesn't have like a gripping plot or anything. It's just very thoughtful and the sentences are beautiful and and um, and I always see something new in it. So um, I don't know, there's my bookshelf back there. I'd have to go right up to it to see what's on there, but yeah, those two will do for now, I think. Okay, all right. Um, let me just see here. This is the, the first one that was. Yes. This is mm -hmm. the first one I read. What would you like to say about it? What, what do you want people to know? And I'm sorry about all the reflection. <laughs> it's okay. Um, ultimately, uh, I'd like them to know that it was the turning point in my career, that book. Mm. Uh, up to that point, I'd written a young adult novel and I had a short story collection come out. Um, and uh, I was determined that my next work would not be confused with young adult. And so I had, you know, I, I sort of set out with like, well, this is going to be an adult novel and how do I do that? And I, and I write about, and I write from a certain point of view and a certain style and a certain, subject matter um it again it took me six or seven years to write uh there was a lot of rewriting i was i was working as a carpenter up in the colorado rockies at the time um had i not been doing that the idea never would have come to me to write about a family that goes up to the rocky mountains and one of their um children goes missing you see a common theme 
<laughs> the two books. And um, so when it was finally published some years later, um, it sort of changed my life because it, it did really well. Um, it was on the New York Times bestseller list for a little while. And um, by that point, I was teaching creative writing myself in Memphis. And I was able to take a year off to write the next book under a contract, which was The Current. And, and I liked just writing so much, which is what I'd always just wanted to do. I'd always just wanted to be able to just write, even though there were things I really liked about teaching and even things I really liked about carpentry. So after a year of just being a writer, um, I decided I wouldn't go back to Memphis. I would just, I would just start trying to be a writer um, full time. And so, and that, and without that book, that that wouldn't have happened. I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do that. So it has very is very dear to me. And again, this uh, one of its main characters, um, Sean Cortland, who is fifteen, I think, when that book begins. Um, in this new book, he is now twenty six. So it's it's about ten years later. And the current. Um... Yeah. This doesn't have the reflection because oh, that's yeah, yeah, that's the, yeah. It it is a kind of shiny, cool cover. It's like cracked ice. Yeah, I like that. Um, it, oddly enough, this is just a side note. Dennis Lehane had said he thought that current was better than descent. Yeah, which is kind of unusual because usually the author's first book is much better than the second one. I'm not sure why that is, but but it well, was, the, it's the it's the, they call it the sophomore slump. Um, uh, but, uh, and that's very kind of Dennis to say, and a, and a number of people actually said that, but I think they're, I think they're, I think they've both got arguments for, and I don't know what better even means. It's just really who you are as a reader and what you respond yeah. to. Um, but, uh, I, I, you know, I think they're, I think all three books are, <laughs> have their own, have their own, uh, can you can make a case for each one of them, you know, not better, but being good on its own terms. That sounds like a good definition. Um, before I introduce the next question, um, I have to say that uh, the area you write in on this third book is I, I lived in Minnesota and I lived in Wisconsin. So some wow. of the environments you created were very reminiscent of ones and <clears throat> there were a lot of places that I really enjoyed the writing and there was one particular paragraph that was I don't know why it was special I just know it it made me feel something so I showed it to my 18 year old granddaughter because she's an aspire aspiring writer mm -hmm. she was quite taken with it and then I showed it to my supervisor and he was also taken by it as was I so I just wanted you to know we've gone through three generations here so uh, <laughs> it's appealing to a lot of different people well now I want to know what 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 section it was <laughs> what part it was well I can I can tell you it was it was page 287 which is the 34th chapter and it's the one about the day when there is rain and through the different times when the rain uh, yeah. appearance changes. Right, yeah, I know what you're talking about, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I like that too. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things I see resonating throughout the book, but that one particularly just drew me. Yeah. Really well, glad. Uh, it's always glad to hear those things. And particularly if multiple people feel the same way. Yeah. Uh, I distinctly remember writing that and, and thinking, you know, uh, really taking my time with it and trying to uh, make it as evocative as it could be. It, it was a certain, it, it was signaling. And usually when that, when you get into those passages, it's signaling some kind of change in, you know, not just the weather, but change in um, how things are going. That something significant is about to happen. And uh, indeed it does in that, in that chapter. Um, one of the questions in some of the uh, reviews I read is, it's, um, there's a lot of what ifs here. What mm -hmm. if John and Dan had never come together? Mm -hmm. um, and and it, it struck me that you can read the book and talk about the what ifs of the characters in the books, but you can also look at your own life and say, what if? Mm -hmm. Did that occur to you at all? Did that? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think we all do that. And sometimes we have to do it in the worst way, you know, like something terrible happens and we think, oh, what if I'd done this differently? Um, this terrible thing would have happened. And I think that's um, that's what a lot of um, people who survive uh, a trauma are sort of, sort of struggle with, you know, like um, in Descent, the, the family, after their daughter goes missing, they, they probably ask themselves a lot of what ifs, what if we hadn't, come here what if we you know uh, not let her go up in the mountains like that or you know um so i i do and i you know and, and what if i'd never gone to colorado to work on that house i never you know i never would have written that book so um but in the in the case of this distant sons uh it all kind of it was compelling to me for because i wanted it to be seen and it is unless you believe in fate and, and predestination, but I wanted it to seem very sort of accidental and just random um, that these two young men sort of meet in this Wisconsin town. And then it's sort of the choices they make. They decide, you know, one decides to sort of see if the other one wants to work, do some work, and that one thing leads to another. And by the time, you know, things really get sort of um the stakes get very high they start they both start to you know wonder well geez what if we had never met you know, yeah. things, you know things might have gone a different way so well, the whole book is kind of predicated on a on a chance meeting and that sort of not that i was actively pursuing that theme but um i became kind of consciously aware of it over time well and i think too um and you, you maybe have already said this, the what if can be good or bad. Yeah. It's not necessarily one or the other all yeah. the time. And there are some good things that happen. I don't, I don't want the reader to get yeah. the idea these are all, it's all bad. Yeah. <laughs> and there there are some consequences that turn out to be, you know, uh, on the on the good side rather than the bad side. Well, and you put some humor in there from time yeah. to time. So it lightens it up a little bit. Um, another thing I noticed um, in your dialogue, now this is in the year of 2018, not the 1977 one, mm -hmm. um, the, the characters, when asked a question, just answered the question. They didn't editorialize, they didn't embellish, 
They, if is that your truck? Yes. And that was all the person would respond with because that was the answer to the question. So I, it's what I called an economy of words when it came to the dialogue. And there were a few exceptions where that probably didn't, didn't take place. But for the most part, did you do that deliberately? It's hard to define deliberately in this sense. I, I do it because it's, it's my style and it's a oh. style that I've sort of been you know, uh, counting on or, or developing throughout these three novels. Um, but it's also, I think, has to do with having characters who are kind of um, not super forthcoming in general about mm -hmm. their history, their past. Um, they're not like, I. they're not talky, uh, which is something I can relate to as a Midwesterner. It's not, you know, it's not, we're not known for the, for the, um, you know, putting forth of emotions, you know, like into, yeah. into talking about things. Uh, so these are, these are solidly Midwestern young men who were kind of brought up in that environment, but also have reason to be quiet. You know, the heart, they've had yeah. some hard knocks and they don't really want to share that experience with people or, or, or they've, they've, um, they don't trust people, you know, as a result of, of what's happened to them. So I think it's kind of that uh, that sort of laconic kind of um, uh, brevity of words comes out of that. But it's also I you know I love dialogue that is just like kind of snappy and moves along and and gets to the point and and doesn't uh, get all talky. Yeah, <laughs> I, I get I get the talkiness out in my descriptions, you know, and and try to keep the talking to a minimum. Well, I think you've certainly done it well on this on this book. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> now, I understand that the, you have some motion picture options. Yes. For yes. the descent and the current, is that yes. correct? And yes. can you talk a little bit about what all that involves? I know that from other, other authors, it, there's a lot of discussion and how much control you have and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So could you address that? Sure. Well, an option just means that someone has sort of rented the rights uh, for the for a period of time, usually anywhere from a year to eighteen months or so. And um, in while they while they have rented the rights, you can't rent the rights out to anybody else, or nobody else can make the film. Um, and during that period, they're trying to get all uh, enough of the of the ducks in a row that they need to get in a row. Uh, for instance, uh, directors, financing, studios, even actors, um, that they they can be uh, they can green light it and go ahead and buy the rights, which is different from optioning. So once they buy the rights, they own the rights to the movie um, forever. So these both of these books were optioned like right out of the gate and neither have been made yet and neither have been bought yet they've just been optioned all this and descent that was a long time ago so descent has been optioned and re-optioned and re-optioned by the oh. same people for a long time and sort of one thing or another and has sort of uh, slowed things down or set things back and that's that's hollywood i mean that's what anybody who uh, has spent any time in the business or has been an author with these options um, by and large, the the name of the game is patience and sort of putting it out of your mind. And, and if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And we were moving along with the current 
which was optioned right out of the gate also, and uh, was being developed as a limited series on HBO Max. And then HBO Max had a had a huge sort of corporate, um, they kind of had a corporate disaster where they had to cut their budget severely and let all kinds of projects go on the very last second they let the current go. And, um, but now we, we still have a, a director and a writer and a, and a, and a um, we're, you know, they're going to take it out to other financers and studios and things like that, producers. Um, but as for how much involvement I have, it's really up to them. Um, it's not contractual in any way um, that I, I get to have any kind of say. Uh, it's really just, it tends to be that the producer, the people who option it, tend to be people who are interested in making a movie that I will, you know, I will be proud of, that I will, I will uh, um, not be disturbed by, you know, but beyond that, it's like, it's up to them whether they want my input or not, or if they want to talk about it. And I've been lucky in that, that both, in both cases, they talk to me quite a bit. And, um, and uh, not that it really has moved things along in any way, but it, it's kind of nice to be able to keep an eye on things and, you know, get updated yeah. on what's going on and, and know that they're interested in my, in my thoughts. So that's where those are. We, we, um, we didn't set out to actively try and option the new one. Um, for one thing, it came out in the middle of a writer's strike, you know, and uh, <laughs> at the very end of the writer's strike, but as things happen, in both cases, somebody else came to us, you know, we weren't actively, by us, I mean my agent, my movie agent and my literary agent um, who worked together, but uh, someone just had read the book and was in the movie business and wanted to, you know, see about getting getting it made and getting the option, and, and that's how that tends to happen in my experience. So we'll wait, we'll see. Maybe someone will will offer any minute now to option this one too. But but things have gone so crazy since the pandemic and everything was shut down for that. Yeah. And then there was the writer strike and now they haven't resolved the actor strike and and the whole industry has kind of been turned uh, turned on its head. Sounds like you need some patience to go into that type of thing. Yeah, and and as an author, you you can't sit around, you know, waiting for your book to come out on the big screen or something. It's like you just got to put it out of your mind and yeah. you know, keep writing. And are you currently writing on your uh, working on your next book? I I am in uh, in in the sense that, uh, like I said, it's a it's usually a pretty long time between uh, finishing one and starting really getting into the next. And um, I'm in the I'm in the what I call the uh, receptivity phase. So I'm I'm highly receptive to an idea, <laughs> but I haven't. I shouldn't, you know. My this is the last thing my editor and agent ever want to hear. But I haven't actually started writing. So when you when you and, it, and when I do, I generally don't tell them. I generally, you know, I keep that to myself because. Because uh, I don't want them to to ask me how the writing is going, oh. <laughs> and because it may go very bad, and I might decide to not pursue the project anymore at all. I might just, you know, who knows? So I like to keep it as to myself for as long as I can. Well, when you say you're waiting, um, you know, for an idea to come along, whatever, are you 
are you actively in search of an idea or are you kind of just going along until it hits you in the face? Well, I'm not looking around the world saying, would this be a good idea? Would that be a good idea? I am, I am just um, open to whatever my brain wants to generate based on whatever I'm seeing or reading or thinking about. Um, and some, you know, some thoughts have come and gone and my philosophy is the same as it's always been. Um, I don't write these ideas down. I don't try to start writing when I think I have a good idea. Uh, I always have just um, put the idea out of my mind as best I can. And it's when I can't put it out of my mind and it starts to really preoccupy mm. me. Um, that's when I start writing. Okay. And and it's almost like I just got to do this to get it out of get it out of the way and see if it you know that's there's no guarantee it's going to turn into a, a novel. Well, you sound like you're open to you know uh, starting something and recognizing if it's not going to work, then move on to yeah. something else. And are yeah, you? I'm not, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, are you still um, working in construction? Uh, I am in a highly selective, uh, optional way. I, I'm, I don't do it to make a living. If I, I, I actually, the house you see behind me, um, I, I rent, I came here and I started renting it to when I was working on the current for a year. And then I rented it for another five years when I didn't go back to teaching. Um, and I and two, two years ago, two Two and a half years ago or so, I had the chance to buy it, so I bought it. And it's a hundred-year-old house, so there's there's a lot to there's a lot to do. Uh, but I also knew, being a carpenter, this is one of the advantages I had, uh, and having lived here as long as I had, I knew everything about it. I knew what I was getting into, and it wasn't like there had been any, you know, oh my God, there's, you know, there's a hole in the floor that I didn't see because there was a rug over. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, I know everything about this house. And I knew what I was getting into and I have no one to blame but myself. So it's, and, and often, you know, it's doing that kind of work that, that frees up my brain to think about uh, story ideas, you know, about narratives. And it's exactly what I was doing uh, when Descent came to me. Um, when The Current came to me, I actually was reading student papers <laughs> in a coffee shop <laughs> in Memphis. Um, so who knows, you know, I may be down in the basement, uh, uh, repairing the grout in the walls or something, and I'll get, I'll get the idea for the next one. Okay. We have some listeners who have questions oh, for cool. you. Okay. First one, first one is what's the best piece of advice that you received as an author? As an author, or as a writer. So, well, um, the author. as an author, I don't know that I received it, but I think the advice that I would give to myself is uh, be happy in all your interactions with people along the way. Um, be, be ever grateful that people are interested in your work and, and, and championing it and, and publishing it at all. Uh, I always try to keep in mind that 
they're doing their jobs and I'm doing my job and there's no reason that we shouldn't just make it as pleasant as possible and as upbeat, you know, and, and so, uh, and I have no reason not to be upbeat. Um, but I don't, I know authors who, you know, who uh, they don't feel like they're getting the, you know, quite the treatment that they or their work should be getting from their publisher or whatever. And I've heard those stories many times and I was just like, well, you know, Maybe it's the energy you're putting out there. I don't know. <laughs> so I, I think as an author, you, you, well, for one, you should always keep working at what you love and don't try and please anybody else. Um, I, I do, I think I do my best work when no one's really um, looking over my shoulder, expecting it. Um, so that's, that's what I'm, I'm trying to do with this next one too. I mean, it's like, uh, I'm, I'm writing a certain kind of novel and I'm not going to try and write one that people are maybe expecting or wanting. I'm just going to try and write the novel that I want to write and, and would like to read. Okay, next question. What's been the thing that you're most proud of when you look back on being a carpenter? Um, staying with it. Uh, I spent a lot of years, and, and this is true of writing too, a lot of years learning the craft. And it was the, it, it resulted in becoming a, a master, basically. I mean, there's nothing I, I really can't do in carpentry. Um, I'm not always, the, you know, I'm not the best at it, but I, I know how to do it. Um, but I guess the most proud single thing um, was the, actually, you know, I did some really uh, fine work on this house in Colorado that I was working on uh, when I uh, started writing Descent. And there's, you know, uh, some kind of beautiful sort of woodsy Colorado things I did up there that, and I did uh, entirely on my own. I was up there for my, by myself for a long time. And, I, and, uh, and uh, I, and I think it was kind of, um, you know, sort of the opus of my carpentry life was doing all the work on this house. Okay, next question. Do you have any weird writing habits? Weird writing <laughs> habits. Weird writing habits. Boy, I don't know what constitutes weird. Um, I don't think so. Uh, I, I will, when I am writing, I will get up from bed and go directly to my sofa and lay down and start reading. And um, sometimes I'll just fall asleep, fall back asleep. My dog is out laying on the sofa also. Um, but when the going is good, I'm not reading for very long before I, I put the book aside and put the laptop up. And I don't, I never sit at a desk. I don't know if that's weird. I'm always uh, reclining in some way. That that began in Colorado because there was no desk there. There was just a, a recliner. So I put a pillow on my lap and started writing on my laptop. Um, but I can't think of anything uh, particularly weird. Okay, next question. Yeah. Who do you recommend that people read? I think you mentioned a couple of folks. Yeah, well, I mean, everybody style and preference and taste and reading is just so personal. Um, 
if you're into, you know, really um, thoughtful, beautiful language making, sentence making, um, and not so much in, you know, page turning excitement, then I go back to the Teju Cole that I, who I mentioned earlier, um, and Open City, uh, which is uh, just a beautiful sort of, it's a, it's a book that, um, sort of lives and breathes in New York City and 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 uh but it has a deeper kind of psychological narrative going on that isn't easy to pick up the first time. So um I I I I love some Cormac McCarthy's novels for the same reason because his language is kind of just amazing and and I, I always respond to really strong writing. Um and uh and again I don't really I don't really read books that I, I sometimes get compared to uh in the in the uh you know the genre mystery crime sense so I really can't well you know although I must say uh since we brought up Michael Carita a couple times you should uh if you're into that kind of if you're into you know um crime and and mystery and uh that kind of thing he's terrific and he's a very good writer great writer um yeah. His new one is called An Honest Man, and that will be coming out forthcoming. Okay, last question. What do you like to do when you aren't writing? Uh, well, I, I uh, read. <laughs> I read, uh, I watch movies and TV. I have a, a dog who needs to go out quite, quite a bit. She needs a lot of exercise, and I ride my bike with her. And when I'm writing, it's uh, that's all I ride the bike and I'm thinking about what I've been writing and what I'm going to do when I get back from riding the bike. And she runs alongside me. And um, uh, when I'm in a when I'm a good mood and into the swing of things, I, I love doing my projects, you know, working on the house in some way or another. So, yeah, those are my things. Okay. And, uh, eat. and eat. Are you are you a, your own cook? Yeah, but that's not saying much. I don't really, I don't really cook. Uh, you know, I yeah, I have my things that I, I can make easily and quickly. And, um, but I for some reason I agreed to do uh, Christmas at my house this year for my family. So I'm gonna have to figure out how to make uh, you know, how to get a hold of a turkey. <laughs> you might want to start in on that now. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. We'll okay, see. so do you have any final words of wisdom for your readers? Uh, well, um, I, do, I, I don't really, I mean, for readers, uh, I, I, I just say go out of your comfort zone from time to time. You know, it's, it's fun to, to read the writers you really love and, and the stories and the kind, you know, if you have a series that you like to read, like my mother was really into the uh, Louise Penny series for a while, and read all those, but then she'll go way out of swing out and some and read something else entirely. And that's kind of what I like to do. I like to just sort of be open to whatever comes across my desk. It, it doesn't have to be fiction. You know, it's, um, I'm reading a book called uh, An Immense World, which is all about yeah. It's a very sciencey book, you know. It's all about how other creatures perceive the world, and um, or experience the world. 
and for a writer, that's kind of that's kind of juicy stuff. It's really kind of great to sort of think about how it's like it goes to the heart of point of view. You know, what's the point of view of a of a bat? You know, how does a bat experience the world as opposed to how we experience? It? Anyway, things no. like that really interest me, and they and they often work their way into my writing. You know, who knows? I might uh, some of this information might end up. I might have a character who like knows weird things about animals, and <laughs> it came from this book. And what would you advise writers or would-be writers? What would be your best advice? Pretty much the same thing. Read. You know, read uh, read out of your comfort zone. And if you can, and, and sometimes it takes going to um, to school, pro, to school like I did and, and taking classes that teach you how to do it. But um, you have to sort of learn to read like a writer. You know, it's not enough just to read for pleasure or read for story uh you kind of have to learn to slow the process down you know almost like hitting slow-mo on the remote and figure out how things are put together how and you you know you picked up on the lack of um of uh quotation marks in those in those uh past passages why is he doing that you know what's the point of that what's what's you know how does that change how i'm reading this uh and uh, it, it can, for a while, sort of take some of the life out of reading, you know, some of the fun out of it as you start really slowing down and paying attention to every little thing. But ultimately, I think it, it makes you, if you're interested in writing, it's, it, it makes every book a, a teacher, you know, if you can really sort of look at it that way. You know, now that you mention it, when you, you said, you know, when I first wondered about why the, no quotation marks, I, I would also think for, well, it's really for anybody. A sense of curiosity is essential to finding things. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yes. When I was young, I I remember that moment. You know, when I when I realized I wanted to be a, a writer, I started realizing why paragraph breaks were the way they were, and how quotation marks signaled a new a new write a new speaker because it was in a new paragraph, and it was like things I'd never I'd just done automatically you know i just yeah. read these things automatically without thinking about them and just the basic construction on the page um it just began it, it was like the veil had been lifting from my eyes and it and it didn't ruin the experience it just made it i was just so i just learned so much just about being, about being curious about it like you said yeah. why is it done this way well, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And I, I really appreciate your books. They're great. And I look forward to your next one, even though you're still just thinking about it. Well, well it'll be, it'll come around. Okay. It'll come around eventually. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Hello. We hope you're enjoying our programs and podcasts with authors. We'd like to expand them and your help would be appreciated please make a donation at poisonedpenfoundation.org. 100% of the proceeds will go to help connect authors with readers in this difficult time. Thank you.